Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we get our shots after we get bit by strange animals, because the disease we talk about today is lethal and has no cure. Spooky. And also thirsty, because today we're talking about rabies, a disease that has an approximate 100% fatality rate and haunts my dreams. My name is Mia. And I'm Salem. And I keep forgetting to add the segment where we introduce ourselves into the podcast, but today we got it. <laughs> today we're telling people what our names are, which is probably good for people, you know, who want to listen to podcasts and know who the fuck they're talking to. Yeah, we Listening also... To, they're not talking to us. <laughs> when we actually started, I remember you being like, we should, ha- we should record like a three minute introductory segment and we we keep going like we, we, we gotta do it we gotta do that and we just never do we forget but all the time how have you been before we develop this massive fear of water that rabies does and we dig into like one of the most horrifying diseases that i've ever heard of yeah you know i've been good um still working on my thesis i'm, I'm saying thesis now because i've noticed that when i say thesis it sounds like Feces isn't poop, and mm-hmm. so now I'm like actively avoiding saying feces. Thesis. Um, so I'm working on that, mm-hmm. and also uh, what one thing that I actually wanted to bring up. Remember how in the last episode I complained about growing mushrooms and growing mold instead? Mm-hmm. I uh, did not know that we had so many amateur mycologists in our audience because a lot of people on Patreon uh, commented with advice and insights a lot of good advice from mycology from mycology who knew who knew that it's such a popular hobby i guess gay people really like mushrooms <laughs> yeah yeah so maybe there's something there i mean who doesn't like mushrooms isn't that did you i do you know a fun thing we're more closely related to all mushrooms than we are to plants yeah, I think I remember hearing something about that. Yeah. That's fucked up weird, right? I think that's why we have such a big affinity for mushrooms. How have you been? I've been good. I've been doing, well, good and good. I've been I've been doing fuck all because um, I've been depressed again. Mm. It's it, the seasons are transitioning, and my body decides, and my, like my brain just sees that and decides, being like, oh cool, no more happy hormone for you. <laughs> You're gonna be sad now. You're gonna have anxiety and be stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm late with my videos, I'm overdue on the bunch of work, bleh. Yeah, I don't like spring either. Springs? No, I like spring. I don't like the like eight weeks that Sweden has, where it's like <laughs> spring and winter in that sort of super position, where it's like for two hours it's going to be like a warm, beautiful spring day, and then like and then two hours after that, hits. snowstorm, yeah. and then in the evening, summer. <laughs> like, yeah. I... Please, just give me a season, not four of them at once. So that, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, well, Raging I... Raging against the time. I hope you, um... I mean, I hope you get better. <laughs> I, like, I'm just... I just don't want to sound, like, sort of dishonest, because I know what it's like to be in a depressive episode, and I know that you just kind of have to write it out, so I don't... Yeah. Like, I'm not going to come at you with, like, well, it's just... You know, it's so for a reason. Like I don't know. God has a plan for God all has us. a plan for all of us. No, don't be depressed. <laughs> True happiness. Have we taken have we taken a walk? Um yeah. so I didn't I don't wanna say that. You just, no, you just kinda have to I have been doing out. something. I bought I bought a new coat. I also bought a new coat. We've been obsessed <laughs> with our new coats. You can tell that I'm pushing thirty because I'm I'm really excited about having a new adult coat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But before we go into the meat of today's episode, we of course want to thank our dear patrons. Today's patron that we want to thank in our final Patreon shoutout is Kimethal. Thank you, Kimethal, for supporting our podcast, making sure we can make this stuff, incrementally upgrade our hardware, and uh, keep keep doing research into terrible diseases that I fear for my life. If you too would like to support us, uh, go to Patreon. There's a lot of cool rewards. You can watch our video version. We release episodes early, um, most times. <laughs> most times. <laughs> We're but so we, busy, people. Like, we're just we're like, on the grind side. <laughs> no, but we do release them early. We get the you get the video version. Um, there's some tiers where you can actually ask for specific topics or Easter eggs. There's a lot of cool shit. So if you want to support us, do check out our Patreon. But with that being said, forty-five minutes into the episode. <laughs> but with that being said, let's dig into rabies. Alright, so we are talking about rabies today, which might actually be one of the most disturbing viral infections there are, at least in my opinion. I think it's really scary and weird, and I remember as a kid having this like um, irrational fear that I'm going to get rabies and die. Oh, the, this is, is, that a, this is, is that actually, a common This is common actually fear? quite a common fear, actually, yeah. in like throughout medical history. We'll get to that, actually. But yeah, like a 100% fatality? Yeah, exactly. Fuck. Like, like that's Duff. fucking scary, because once you develop symptoms, it's like too late to do anything. Yeah. Like, everybody knows that, but it's still fucking crazy. Yeah. I don't know if any other illness I mean, that kind of is like that, to be honest. Do you know of anything else? I'm not super sure, but it's the one that you hear. Like, for the, and for those of you who, who don't know, that that's the, that's the spooky thing about rabies, right? Like, yeah. if, when, you, when you detect symptoms of rabies, yeah, that's it. you're already dead. Yeah, yeah. Also, and also some of the symptoms are kind of scary in themselves. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to talk about that later. But, you know, in animals, like, they start producing more saliva and mm-hmm. they get more aggressive. Like, rabies actually change their behavior mm-hmm. to spread more rabies. That, like, that's some zombie shit. And I think I've seen yep. it be mentioned um, or sort of be referred to as almost like a zombie virus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's a, it's a spooky one. Mm-hmm. So rabies... If, if we go into like the more scientific medical part of this episode, rabies is a zoonotic disease, meaning that it's carried by animals. And it can be transmitted to humans via saliva or body fluids, or even brain and nervous tissue. Um, usually it just happens through broken skin or through the mucous membrane in the eyes, nose, or mouth. Typically, rabies infections happen via the bite of an infected animal, but like technically if you took like a bunch of brain tissue and you rubbed it in your eyes. I guess like that could also lead to you being infected. And actually... (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Medical advice from the podcast. If you find a brain, don't rub it in your eyes. And actually there have been cases being reported of people getting sick with rabies by consuming unpasteurized milk from cows with rabies. So that's... Because it's a body fluid. Body Mm. fluid, right? A body fluid. A body fluid. It's a body fluid. So it's... It's, it's kind of a spooky one. So usually when you think about rabies, you think about dogs, cats, and bats. But, like, the, you know, there's a, a reason for that. Those are the main reservoirs for rabies. But many other animals can be infected. And that includes cattle, horses, monkeys, rabbits, and even birds. Even though birds, for some reason, don't develop symptoms. And also, like, they are able to resolve the infection on their own. <laughs> For some, 
for some weird reason, they just fine. never. They're just fine. They get infected, and they're like, well, but I, no big deal. When I research, I didn't. Obviously, this wasn't like part of my research. I read some people talking about how avian rabies, like it's it's difficult for them to get infected, even mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so. Like, they can be infected, but it's, like, extraordinarily rare for them to even do that. Yeah, it is rare and the for fact birds. That they eat, and the fact that if they do, they're fine. Yeah. I birds, what's up, what's up with your deal? What's up with birds? What's up with bird brains? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I also saw something about how it's really uncommon for birds to get it, but I just thought it was interesting that it's, yeah. it's like, very uncommon for an animal to get it and then just, like, be fine. I have no idea how that happens. But anyway, moving Wild. on. So the rabies virus's scientific name is rabies lisa virus. And like a lot of viruses, the rabies uh, virus has a very rudimentary structure. Its genetic material encodes only five genes. The nucleoprotein, phosphoprotein, matrix protein, glycoprotein, and the viral RNA polymerase. And that's all it needs. The glycoproteins are the proteins forming the outer structure of the virus, like a little protective coat. Uh, the nuclear protein and phosphoprotein encapsulate the RNA genome and also connect with matrix proteins, which are also connected with the glycoproteins. So it's kind of like a double, a double coat protecting the most valuable information, which is the, the genetic information. So this virus is like a tight cocoon of awfulness. Um, and then, like, like many, like weird like many brain viruses. viruses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the RNA polymerase is tightly snuggled inside because it's very important for um, for RNA replication. In terms of symptoms and more like clinical presentation, there are two types of rabies. There's furious and paralytic rabies. And the names are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, furious rabies is the more common form. It infects... So about 80% of cases are fu- like cases of furious rabies. It just... F- like f- I'm hearing you correctly. It's just furious rabies. Furious, yeah. Like angry rabies. Angry rabies. So in animals, symptoms are a bit species dependent, but it's often characterized by increased aggression, excessive drooling, biting at air, <laughs> biting at the spirits. Um, Mood. Uh, and problems swallowing. And in humans, symptoms include hyperactivity, hypersalivation, hallucinations, agitation, and hydrophobia, as well as aerophobia. So fear of water and fear of air. And this fear of... <laughs> How does that express itself? How like Because I've seen people, like I've seen videos on the internet of people who exhibit hydrophobia. Mm-hmm. Fucked up weird, by the mm-hmm. way. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, like that's, that's weird as a symptom. I don't mm-hmm. even know how that would work. Like, why? Do you know why? Yeah. So hydrophobia, it's a very infamous symptom of rabies. And this fear of water, I mean, obviously. And it really, I mean, it's not a fear of water, but it's, um, so what happens is like the patients get uh, spasms in their pharynx that feel like a blockage in the throat and it causes like shortness of breath. And it's very, very painful and it's involuntary. And it gets triggered by swallowing and Mm. at some point uh when it gets worse it's triggered by seeing water and even later it's triggered by thinking about water it's it's nothing about like the water itself it's more the inability to swallow or Mm. it being very very painful to swallow and with the aerophobia um it's like gusts of air that also trigger this Mm. the spasms in the throat so patients just um 
you know they're very avoidant because it's it hurts <laughs> so it's less uh it's less like a psych it, it doesn't cause a psychological shift more than it causes a, a physical pain mm-hmm. that then obviously pe- mm-hmm. people want to avoid the thing that causes yeah exactly pain. that makes sense yeah. like that that makes a lot of sense so the the spasms make it very difficult to swallow and of course it's not just water like that's uh it's water food but it's also like even your own saliva and um, the the virus also, I'll, I'll explain how this happens, but the virus also causes hypersalivation. So people are unable to even swallow their own saliva, and this causes like the foaming at the mouth effect that you see in animals mm. in particular. It's like the classic rabid dog yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, this form of rabies is very fast acting, the, the furious rabies. So the person who is infected typically enters a coma after a few days and soon dies by cardiorespiratory arrest. The paralytic form of rabies occurs in about 20% of cases, and it's like a less dramatic form of rabies, but of course it's still very dangerous. It's still going to kill you. It's still going to kill you, just slower. (laughs) Some of the symptoms include muscle weakness at the site of infection, and then gradual paralysis. Mm. In animals, the infection makes them appear sleepy and tired and like tame. So if you see like a wild animal that's really like that's not afraid of surprisingly you. friendly surprisingly friendly like that's a, that's a bad sign don't don't yeah. touch the animal it's like when you like that's when that's what they tell kids right like if a yeah. fox comes up to you and wants to play with you yeah. don't because yeah. like, that's not pa- normal yeah. fox behavior i remember my parents telling me that because i yeah. was exactly the type of kid to go and like touch front oh yeah i would have kissed that that fox, <laughs> fox like, on, on the, the mouth, mouth. <laughs> <laughs> took it home like <laughs> slept on it in bed yeah <laughs> yeah but anyway, this form of rabies, the, the paralytic rabies, it takes longer to develop and worsen. So the, the previous one, like in a few days after symptoms appear, like you, you, enter, you enter coma and you, you start, you know, you, you can get like heart failure and things like that. This paralytic form, it takes a few months, like, like a month for symptoms to really worsen and for the person to, to die. So how does this virus actually work? What does it do? So firstly, the host has to be infected. And this, like I said, this usually happens via bite. And most often it's due to dog bites. And this is actually preferable to be bitten by a dog because then you know you've been bitten by a dog and you can get help immediately. But the rabies virus can also be transmitted via superficial skin lesions, which most often occur from contact with bats. And they're called cryptic legions because they're cryptic you don't know that they're there Mm -hmm. and the fucked up thing about that is that most people don't even know they've been bit and don't seek help and i've actually i've actually had that happen once (laughs) when i was a kid Um. um yeah when i was a kid i got i was just like walking around the neighborhood and like if you are new to the podcast like i was born in moldova it's there's a lot of like stray dogs and cats and I was walking in the neighborhood. I think I was tra- taking the trash out or something. And a dog, like a, a stray dog, came up to me and just like gently pinched me, like nibbled me on the knee. <laughs> and I was wearing fucking jeans uh, with uh, like knee, uh, what's it called? Like knee holes. Mm-hmm. And it left, it left a mark. So, but it wasn't like a, a big bite. It didn't break the skin. No, it did break the skin. But it was a very, very gentle, it was a very gentle nibble. And the dog like came up to me, like just like the gentlest nibble and then walked away. And I remember being like, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? Um, it was like a greeting. I don't know. It was so weird. And then I went home and I was like, mom, I think a, 
a, a fucking dog just bit me. And I remember there was a, a bit of a conversation, a bit of back and forth <laughs> about whether I should get vaccinated or not. This is fucking, what do you mean conversation? Of course you get fucking vaccinated. I know, but I, I didn't. <laughs> um, well, you're alive. Well, I'm alive. So it wasn't. And this was, was over six years ago. Because like, what's six, six years. This How is over old do you think si- I am? This is over six years ago. Because the maximum exposure time for rabies from like, from, from oh, infection yeah. to... Right to showing symptoms is six years, right? Right. It can start showing symptoms from like a couple of months. I don't, did you say that? No, I, I didn't say, I mean, for sure there's a latent period. I remember saying seeing something about that, that it can stay dormant for a while. I don't remember the exact numbers, yeah. but yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. I remember- Cause like, month- is it still dormant? <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> oh you know, no, let's after this, after the record this, what if we go and actually get you like a rabies shot, just in case? Maybe me too. <laughs> I mean, what, I was like nine? I mean, you're probably fine, right? Like, you're almost guaranteed like to be fine. Like 18 years ago. You're like 99.9 sure that you're fine. <laughs> Dear listeners, we've just discovered... <laughs> we just discovered that our co-host might have rabies. <laughs> um... No, but but I, I just remember sort of having a conversation. Like, my mom looked at the bite, and she was like, oh, it's fine. That's not the way you do it. If a dog bites you, you go to, no, the, you yeah. go to the emergency it's, room, and you get the shot. This is what you shouldn't do. And then my mom got bit, like, a few months later, and she got bit, like, for real. Like, mm. a dog, like... Took a bite. Jump. And then she had to go she had to go and get the, the shots. And mm. she said that it hurts a lot. Yeah. Yep. So definitely get the vaccine. Don't be like me. Bit of a side tangent. Bit of a side tangent. But transmission does not just occur through bites. It can also occur via transplants, which is also kind of fucked up. Like, can you imagine yeah. like getting a trans like a I don't know, liver transplant and then getting rabies? I would be Oh, we not. We've all seen that episode of Scrubs. <laughs> not me. I don't watch Scrubs, but okay. Um, the 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 medical comedy phenomenon Scrubs that was on TV like a couple of years ago uh, that had a lot of transphobic comedy in it uh, that I've noticed like trying to return to it. It's not good. Um, it has an episode where uh, a patient dies of like a weird unknown disease that they can't really figure out, uh, and then they transplant like a bunch of their organs into like six people oh. and they're fine. They feel great. And then the, they all die of rabies. That's and it. it's like a big sort of like dramatic episode. And they think it was, it was a good, it's, some of their episodes are kind of good. Yeah, except for the transphobia, of course. I mean, except for the transphobia. I can't watch uh, anything. Early can, 2000s comedy. Yeah, like It's all like that. I can't watch anything like before 2015 for that reason. <laughs> um, how, how I Met Your Mother, full of transphobia. Yeah. No way. <laughs> like the, it all has transphobia. It's just the way it is. So, um, transplants, you can get rabies from transplants, but there has also, so if, if that wasn't bad enough, there have also been reports of, um, infections via aerosols. Fuck no. <laughs> but those Fuck are, no. those are very rare. So those can happen via viral excretion of saliva through exposed mucous membrane in your eyes or nose. So I guess if somebody like sneezed... Like well, right into your yeah, eyes. Yeah, like if somebody with rabies sneezes into your face, in your eyes, and they have like a huge viral load, because mm. that's, that's all in like maybe your immunocompromised. Like there's yeah. there's obviously a lot of factors that determine how sick you get. Mm. This is what the world was before COVID. <laughs> People just came up to you, sneezed in your eyes. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. But it's not really like the main 
Like, no. you, you probably don't need to worry about that. Because, like, the way most people get it is through dog bites. Through dog bites, right? yeah. It's, like, 99% like yeah. of uh, cases. Yeah. So, anyway. Because people have dogs, and people like to snuggle with dogs. Bats aren't... Re- like, bats don't really... You don't hang out with... Most people don't hang out with bats. Most people like to hang out with dogs. Even mm-hmm. weird dogs that walk up to you on the street, and then you get rabies. Let's talk about pathophysiology. This is your favorite part. This is the part where you fight for your life. Yeah, this is the part stay. where I zone out (laughs) but it's really interesting so when an animal bites you the viruses first infect the muscle cells at the location of the bite and then the viruses enter the cells via endocytosis which if you remember from high school is like the cells eating maybe you remember pinocytosis is the cells drinking (laughs) you're looking away i remember mitosis that's rather there's a lot of things that's why they become too right there's a lot of words in biology that end with isis (laughs) <laughs> for some reason um yeah i don't i don't remember any of these words anyway so cells basically have they they're able to form cavities at the surface where they like because they need to take up all sorts of molecules so they basically envelop the molecule and then the molecule becomes a bubble that travels inside the cell body and that's how like they take in whatever they need mm-hmm. Which is fine. It's great. I'm so happy for them. But it's it's unfortunate because viruses 100% take advantage of that. Yeah. <laughs> so they basically, they, they find a cavity like that and they, they're like, ooh, perfect. And they snuggle up in snuggle it. Snuggle as a bug. <laughs> Time to get glumped. <laughs> so they... Um, and then they proliferate, I guess, in the cell and then the cell yeah, explodes because yeah. that's how viruses do. Yeah. So they, I'll, I'll tell you, like, the, the, there's a, a few terms here that maybe the biologists in the, in the audience might be interested to know. It's uh, specifically, it's um, this um, cavity. It's an area coated with a protein called clafrin. It's called a clafrin-coated pit, this specific area. So the virus... <laughs> she clafrin on my pit to, like, pro- to like <laughs> proliferate. proliferate. So the virus settles in the pit. The pit deepens and envelops the, um, Just the like virus. Just and then it like pinches off, like it kind of like fully like hugs it. Hot. <laughs> um, and it forms a bubble with the virus inside. And then it travels into the cell and drops off the virus into an endosome, which is like a storage sack. It's like the, the pantry of the cell. <laughs> <laughs> the pantry the of the pantry cell. The pantry of the cell. Sure. After the rabies virus enters the cell endosomes, they are shuttled off along the nerve axons into the central nervous system, meaning the brain. And as you know, the nerves are like what connects and sends information from the brain to the rest of the body and vice versa. And the axons are what make up the, the actual nerves. And they're like, they're neurons with like really long legs that extend throughout the body. Mm. Um, the, yeah, that's like, that's like when, when you strip away everything in the body except for the nerves. That's, what, how you, that's when the brain looks like a weird octopus. Yeah. <laughs> Like a jellyfish, like tendrils sticking out into yeah, the exactly. Body it's like part. tendrils. That's a good yeah. way to refer to it. The information superhighway of the body. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually what I um, what I, I I think of it like that. It's like a like an elevator from the brain to the rest of the body. Oh. And boy, do the viruses love taking the elevator <laughs> up to the brain. Um, they they love to do that if possible. That like every virus would do that. And I'll tell you why in a sec. Anyway, once they are inside the neurons, the viruses start the process of transcribing their genetic information uh, and producing the proteins required for more viruses, which then are accumulated in the neurons and then released into the space where all the other neurons are so they can infect more neurons and Mm -hmm. produce more viruses. 
From the brain, the viruses also infect the salivary glands, at which point they ramp up the production of the saliva, because the viruses are transmitted to other hosts through saliva. So they're mm. like, let's let's pump the shit up. Let's those are rookie numbers. Let's <laughs> let's get the saliva production up. Um, the viruses also spread to the dorsal root ganglia, which is a collection of sensory neurons, which causes pain and inflammation in the body. Mm. And then the viruses, this is like the, you know, it gets worse and worse. Lastly, the viruses spread to the heart, where it can cause myocarditis, arrhythmias, and heart failure. And that's usually what kills people. That sucks. It sucks that it goes to the brain first, and then it goes to the heart and kills you. Like, it, it really got to fuck with you. It got to fuck you up real bad in a deep psychological way yes. and then kill you. Let me tell you why they love going to the brain, because it's very interesting. It's very smart and it's very fucked up. Mm -hmm. So the brain is a very special environment because it has something called the blood-brain barrier, which is a protective layer that separates the, the circulatory system from the nervous system and keeps the brain out of anything any drama that happens in the body the brain is like out of it yeah it's like a protective bubble basically it's a protective bubble yeah because the brain is very sensitive and so it wants no part and in whatever yeah. happens <laughs> in the brain in the in the body least problematic organ yeah. and this barrier is actually really cool it's very helpful um, and it's basically a collection of characteristics that the blood vessels that vascularize the brain have that regular blood vessels don't have. So first we have the endothelial cells, which are the cells that actually make up blood vessels. And they sit very tightly together. They, they, there's like specific spaces between them that, that like, you know, nutrients can pass through, but th those spaces are way too small for anything else to pass through. So things that don't pass through the, the spaces need to actually be transported through the cells using a, a very specific shuttle system. Usually it's transporters. Then the blood vessels are covered in a layer of parasites and astrocytes, which are like the housekeeping cells. They take care of neurons, feed them, and keep track of what goes in and out of the brain. And this is all good and fine, because we love to keep the brain out of trouble, right? But the problem is that cells can't pass the barrier very easily, and that includes immune cells. Mm. So, so it's like if you can get in there, it's... Nothing gets to you. Yeah. So immune cells, in particular B cells... And antibodies can't pass in. So there has been a bit of back and forth on this in the scientific community. Like before, it used to be believed that immune cells basically don't pass the barrier at all. Now we know that this is not entirely true. So with a lot of pathogens, the barrier actually becomes more permeable. And cells and antibodies are actually able to pass into the brain. Okay. But the rabies virus is special in that it, 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 it has a few mechanisms by which it, it prevents the blood-brain barrier from becoming permeabilized. So it like shuts the brain off from everything else. Like, from like its backup systems, basically. Yeah, it, it infiltrates like, it. It disables the alarm and just yeah. like, I'm fine. Yeah, it good. infiltrates it, puts the walls up, and nothing can, can get in. Yeah. And the blood-brain barrier becoming permeable enough that cells and antibodies can go in is actually the reason why the people who survive rabies do so. Mm. Like, you've probably heard that there is a really, really rare cases where people survive, and it's usually because of the, the for some reason, their yeah. barrier actually becomes more permeable. That's the, yeah, because like there are, because like there are like two or three people 
every few years something mm-hmm. that managed to survive it mm-hmm. it's extraordinarily rare mm-hmm. this is also why it's an approximate 100 fatality mm-hmm. rate mm-hmm. Uh, and not approximately 99 because it's like 99.99 people die and then there's like one lucky son of a bitch yeah. <laughs> who has like a loose brain barrier <laughs> Lucy I heard something also about that. That's that's why birds have a good time because they have Lucy Lucy brains. <laughs> really? That's what I've heard. <laughs> it could be actually. Um, but it's just like no nothing confirmed. Just like like speculation that I heard. How interesting it would be to study birds infected with rabies. What a niche topic. <laughs> I know. But if you do it right, if you, do you it could right. cure rabies. So lastly, you know the the blood brain barrier. Obviously, the permeability. Like that's one of the main ways that rabies evades like the immune system but it also is able to evade immune detection so even before the virus gets to the brain it doesn't get recognized by molecules that typically recognize viruses and bacteria so overall the strategy is hide from the immune system like immediately after it gets you know immediately after a person gets bit and the the virus is still kind of like at the location of the bite it quickly evades the immune system and then it gets shuttled to the brain and then it, it locks yep. locks up and um yeah that's what it does and it's very effective and very efficient and very scary and i don't like it <laughs> it's very spooky and it's very spooky all right so a lot of this sounds very advanced to me i don't know shit about the blood brain barrier like at all Don't know. I, I don't know how the I brain actually, works. I actually studied the blood-brain barrier a little bit. I know that's what you do, like with your organoids. Well, what I was going to say is that it sounds very complicated and advanced. So you might ask, how long have we known about rabies as a specific disease? And that's where I come in because it's <laughs> history time. And I mean, you already know that them Greek boys they knew about this since since freaking forever, um, because like. Rabies as a set of symptoms that is visible to other people has basically been known forever to all civilizations across the entire world. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get to that, but it's it's what we in the history biz call known to the ancients. <laughs> Just like it's an easy disease to see and be scared of. I think. Yeah, because uh, like it's. It's a it's an it's an easily identifiable disease, even though it's kind of rare. Oh, oh so I need to do a sidetrack. Sorry, <laughs> I need to do a quick sidetrack about about nothing. I need to do a sidetrack about like side quest. Time. Side quest about ChatGPT because <laughs> people have been posting these articles about ChatGPT and how smart it is and how like mm-hmm. oh my god, it managed to pass like a medical exam and could identify oh, uh, one in a 100,000 disease. And it's it, like, okay, but the rarity of a disease does doesn't not influence how easily identifiable exactly. it is. Like rabies is exceptionally rare. It's easy to spot. Mm-hmm. Like any doctor worth their salt can identify rabies. I saw that too. It was like, um, so basically how it identified it was by looking at lab results in one particular molecule was like way off the charts like Mm -hmm. it was way outside the the normal range and that immediately indicates that condition like it's a it's an immediate indicator yeah it's like a one-to-one thing yeah Yeah. it's easy it's like oh my god is ai gonna oh my god ai is gonna replace replace all because it's so smart no (laughs) ai is so stupid (laughs) anyway People who aren't stupid, the ancients. Uh, so let's talk about some some smart uh, historical uh, descriptions of rabies. So the first written record we have of 
what is probably rabies, comes from ancient Babylon in the Ashuna Code from around 17,000, no, 1700 BCE, like, or 1900 BCE, uh, so like roughly 4,000 years ago. And that described the symptoms of rabies and its link to animal bites. The code prescribed the owner of a dog that bit someone should pay a fine, and if the dog had rabies, the dog should be killed and its body burned to prevent the spread of the disease. The code also recognized the potential dangers of other animals, such as jackals and wolves, and prescribed similar measures for their control. Uh, A possible translation of the code describes rabies as furious dogs, which I just kind of find funny. But also, like, angie dog. (laughs) Angie dog, burn it. Uh, this is going to be a common thing. Like oh, every time, like dogs are mentioned in legal code in relating to rabies, many times they just like just burn them. Just but burn them. at the same time, like that was a pretty <laughs> it's like the go to health measure. That was the go to health measure in in the ancient world. Burn the person, burn the house, burn the village, burn their animals, and burn their belongings. It Solved. Shit works. Shit works. To be fair, shit works. Um, in ancient Indian texts, the Vedas, some of which we've already mentioned in previous episodes, there are references to rabies-like symptoms and recommended treatments. The Atharva Veda, for example, describes a disease with symptoms that resemble rabies, including a raging fever and madness, and recommends that the affected individual be given a mixture of herbs and ghee as treatment. Is that how you pronounce that? Like that Indian butter? Because mm-hmm. it's a clarified butter. Is it ghee or I ghee? Think, no, or? I think it's ghee. Okay. You can buy that shit now. In ancient China, medical texts described a disease known as mad dog disease, which was likely rabies. The Huangdei Nijing, a medical text dating back to around 300 BCE, describes a disease that causes fever, delirium, and convulsions, which are all symptoms of rabies, although they don't really prescribe a cure for it, um, which... I mean, there's no, there is no cure for rabies, so like I can't really fault them for this. But I, I but I, they used to try. But know? that's what I mean. Like they kind of used to try. Like, but like I'm I a bit surprised. I kind of gotta give it to these like Chinese doctors to be like, no, we can't. We're not. We're not gonna like fuck it. Mm. Nothing works. Mm-hmm. Why are we gonna lie? Yeah. So there's no calming fuel from from ancient Chinese doctors fuel. today. Yeah, I was reading a paper actually. It was like um, you know patient reports uh, of people who had rabies, and like often. After diagnosis, the family just takes them home to die because there's yeah. nothing to do. So they don't want to keep the patient in the hospital. Yeah. Um, although I will say that often this happens in like areas with scarce resources. So mm. I guess, I don't know, maybe it's also a cultural thing. Maybe also the hospitals don't really have a lot to give. But it's... it's um, but like one symptoms are like begin to be shown. Like, like there are some treatments that you can do to like alleviate some of the symptoms, but you can't like, you can't make them not die. No. Um, but I guess you can give them, like, fluids and pain medicine. Yeah. You know, sedate them. Yeah. Medically induced comas are also a thing. I uh, will be talking about that nice. later. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to keep talking about ancient civilizations. There are also some records in ancient Egypt. Uh, the Ebers Papyrus, which is an ancient Egyptian medical text, which dates back to around 1550 BCE, describes a disease that causes convulsions, paralysis, symptoms of rabies, once again. And again, this much like all ancient Egyptian papyri- papyruses uh, are named after some 
white European dude who like bought it at an auction. Not even found it, bought it. Just bought it. I mean, that's <laughs> there's so many papyruses of just like a person from Europe goes to Egypt, buys a, a, like a scroll from a street vendor, and being like, ah, the Mia Mulder papyrus. <laughs> I have found it. But this papyrus is fun because like a lot of medical texts in ancient Egypt, like they're written by priests or were, were written by priests, obviously. And they were really secretive of like their knowledge. They didn't want outsiders to figure out what, so that they could do what the priests did, because that's sort of like their main role in society. And if someone else can do it, they <laughs> lose it. So they're very protective of it. And so this scroll is written like a spell book. So the treatments and the descriptions of rabies and other diseases are all written like curses and spells and things that like magic that they do. But it's all written in code. So the spell. It's actually just like this herb and this thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you, and you grind it up but they mm-hmm. describe it as like you do like the voodoo <laughs> um, gatekeeping rabies medicine gatekeeping like all that knowledge in ancient greece rabies was also recognized and described in medical texts by the physician hippocrates which we mentioned multiple times before this man had a finger in every pot in every pot <laughs> doctor physician writer researcher astronomer mathematician mef- 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 twink twink <laughs> Father, brother, slave, <laughs> slave Bitch, <owner>. lover. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aristotle uh, also described the symptoms of the disease and its link to animal bites in his work on natural history. In Greek literature, the playwright Euripides mentioned rabies in his play uh, Heracles, where the hero is driven to madness by the godly spirit Lyssa, representing the disease which is also why rabies falls under the Lyssa virus category. Mm. Um, Lyssa is sort of like the, the ancient Greek personification of pure rage. Um, oh. uh, and also rabies. That's very interesting. Uh, the way, the, what she represents is like anger and also rabid animals. <laughs> in ancient Rome, the historian Pliny the Elder wrote about the symptoms of rabies in his natural history. And the poet Virgil described the foaming mouth of a rabid dog in his epic poem, The Aenid. The Roman law code, known as the Twelve Tables, included provisions for controlling the spread of rabies, such as requiring the owner of a dog that bit someone to take responsibility for any resulting harm. Whatever that meant, I would guess that they burned the dog. <laughs> and pay a fine. A lot of them just pay fines. Pay like, fine, oh. uh, pay fine and, and burn the dog. That, yeah, that's a, that's a very like textbook punishment yep. for a history. Classic. In many ancient cultures, rabies was believed to be caused by evil spirits or curses, and its victims were often treated with suspicion and fear. For example, in some parts of Africa, rabid dogs were thought to be possessed by evil spirits and were killed and burned to prevent the spread of the disease. Which is fair, because it does bring out like these massive behavioral changes in dogs. They act weirdly, they act angrily. Um, but this has led to some speculation that I've seen on the internet that rabies is the reason why in like modern day western consci- like public consci- cultural consciousness we see demons the way that we do mm. uh, because they foam at the mouth they do demons uh, foam at the mouth yeah they then they spit and they go like blah, blah, blah. um <laughs> oh right when the uh, when the eyes go like yeah and the, the eyes roll back and they, okay, and okay, they okay. shake and they sweat a lot okay. and they're afraid of holy water oh and and That's so interesting and so like there are some speculation that, you know, people have been possessed by, like, some demonic entity, but they've just had rabies. That's so interesting. And, you know, they're afraid of water. And, you know, it's, it's a bit weird. And, they, like, if you're in the ancient... If you're, like, in 
like in the year 700 and you're in a village and you haven't read ancient Greek texts about rabies and a person is acting this way, you're going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> priest, what's up? And the priest goes, demon. Like, I can, I can see this, like, becoming a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It's not confirmed by sort of, mm-hmm. like, cultural historians, but it's, uh, it's, spe- it's speculated, and I think that's kind of interesting. During the Middle Ages, rabies was often seen as a supernatural affliction, and religious texts such as the Bible and Quran have made references to the disease. The German physician Paracelsus, who we mentioned again... Turns out he was a, he was a bit of a... I think he was, he was an anti-Semite. I saw some stuff on Twitter about it, because I remember in a previous, yeah. in a previous episode, we're like, ooh, socialist game. Ooh, Paracelsus! <laughs> and now... What, what did he do? He, um, we, he, he has been milkshake-ducked 500 years after his death. Yeah. But what was his thing? He invited regular people to his lectures, and he refused to, to only base his practice on like the old i don't remember why I, it was canceled oh you don't i had like, a whole fucking section about it you don't remember <laughs> no but no, i don't remember why what, he was why he was, he was canceled because he was an anti-semite but i'm, yes. I'm, I'm re- re- recapping why we liked him but um, we don't like him anymore we don't like he's, him anymore he's canceled. he's canceled um we don't like him we don't stand we don't stand paracelsus um but he wrote about the use of amulets and charms to treat rabies uh, and this is actually something that comes up in other times in history too, where people will give out certain symbols and wear them around their necks and they think that that will treat rabies. And that eventually, I didn't include this in my script, but it's this led to some social trends over time where people would brand the symbol into dogs um, in the thought that that would make them like immune from having it. <laughs> so, so for some like, very short periods time, but like happened multiple times in, in European history specifically, like you got a dog and it would just have like a symbol like burn in the forehead bird well burn into like it's it's head typically in the head yeah okay. so like not necessarily for it but like somewhere like close to the face and the thought it was like well that's going to prevent it from getting rabies did it work no <laughs> of course it didn't work uh the french physician uh amboise Paret, uh from 1500s uh, recommended drinking the urine of a rabbit dog as a treatment for the disease Hmm. Um, did it have to be the same one or yeah. do they keep like just a, a rabbit dog factory that would produce that would milk <laughs> of urine and then whenever somebody the, the idea was that it, w- <clears throat> that it should be the same dog like yeah th- th- that that would be the most effective treatment mm-hmm. did it work no <laughs> <laughs> i also love like you can tell empiricism is not a thing that exists no. here yet it actually they actually how do they come up with this historians this actually- is my this is my question every time we do an episode like how why do you... So it's like the saliva... Like how do you not know that? Are you stupid? <laughs> no, but like, why did you... Why specifically the pee? Why the urine? Why not blood? They used to love blood. Why not blood? <laughs> you know, like, why anything? Drinking urine was often... Like, I, there is a reason drinking urine was a seen as a health measure. Uh, and I, I don't remember exactly what the reason is, but it's, it, the, from what I remember, it is that urine contains like a part of like your life like a certain type of your life force like one like one of the humors like a mixture of the humors a mixture and and that is lacking from from that's lacking from the dog and that's why it has rabies but if you drink it then you get those things and that will prevent the rabies that got into you something like that this is me spitballing based on my like vague knowledge of medical history from the fucking middle middle ages so i may be completely off base wait so the dog is missing it 
the dog is the dog is sick, right? The dog, the has dog is missing one of the components it, that it, it needs. It has it is off balance. Yeah. Off balance. And, but that balance then is like in reverse in the urine because it's it is because it's excreted because it's not being absorbed in the body. It's in reverse. The missing puzzle piece to the humors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it um, didn't work. Obviously, it's stupid. Do you know people still drink urine as a cure? They ferment it in jars and then they drink it. It's like one of the... Remember on a previous episode, we, we, we talked a bit about people with interesting ideas about health and disease. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things. Uh, but in the 16th century, we're moving ahead in time a little bit, the Swiss naturalist Conrad Gessner published one of the first scientific studies of rabies, describing the symptoms and emphasizing the importance of identifying and isolating infected animals, which... Yadoi, because like yeah. it's a disease that goes between the animals, right? Um, good start. Good start. You did it. <laughs> However, it wasn't until the development of the first rabies vaccine by Louis Pasteur in the late 1800s that effective measures were available to prevent and treat the disease. And I'll get into more details about him a bit later. But I'm telling you, pasteurization. See, he came back. Louis Pasteur. Turns out, Bust. inactivating viruses and bacteria in body fluids we get from animals uh, prevents spread of pathogens from animals to humans. Who knew? Girl, like, <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about Louis Pasteur later, but like, oh, like, I think he may be the best person in human history. <laughs> we owe it. We owe, we owe so, so much. So much to, to this, this guy. one guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the epidemiology of rabies mm-hmm. and sort of like how it's spread over the world very very like loosely i'm not going to dig into too too much detail because there are there are like multiple clades of the virus and there are multiple strains of various clades and there there's like avian and there's there are specific rabies that in bats and there's rabies in dogs and like there are cross contaminations like i i'm not going to do all of that stuff. i'm just letting you know if you want that become a scientist um i don't have the time <laughs> But I'm going to give a very brief overview of it. Um, go do a PhD. Go do, do your own PhD. work. Do your own work. So it's very difficult to pin down where rabies came from, so to say, because it seemingly was known to all ancient civilizations. Maybe. Uh, so tracking the spread of it is very, very hard. But it seems to have come from the old world, in quotation marks, uh, by which I mean Asia, Africa, and Europe. Because there aren't any, like documented cases in the Americas until after the Columbian exchange. However, this is a huge however, um, it's possible that historical writers only considered dog rabies and not other types. Mm -hmm. In fact, rabies in bats was not even considered as a possible vector of disease until after the Columbian exchange. Like, people just did not consider that it could come from bats until after. So... It's very possible that it, that, it, that it existed in the Americas in bats, but they just never noticed. It's also, it's also possible, this is, this is something that I'm, that I'm going to mention a bit later, it's very possible that rabies in dogs existed in the Americas before the Columbian Exchange too, but that, it, that just people in the West who wrote it down didn't notice, and, like, and civilizations in the Americas used very different terminology to like, describe the symptoms of it. And therefore, there just hasn't been... It, it's, it, ha- it hasn't been possible to, tr- to track. So the answer is... Mm. 
it's actually one of the few diseases where it's like it's we don't fully completely know whether or not it, it, it exists in North America before the culmination or not. Almost every single other disease we like know, but this one is, is a bit iffy. Because there is also the idea that the disease could have traveled with early human migrations into the Americas around 50,000 BCE, you know, when, when people were first moving in there, <laughs> uh, the first humans in America. And there is some folklore among native cultures in the Pacific Northwest that describe an illness that matches really closely onto rabies that could support this theory. But despite this, as I said, the first sign of terrestrial rabies, the one we see in, in dogs and like land animals, only happens as late as in 1703 in modern-day California, with some sporadic outbreaks in wild dogs and coyotes in other areas of, of what would become the United States. Rabies became common in the mid-Atlantic colonies in the late 1700s and early 1800s, which probably got started or got significantly worse when rich landowners imported red foxes and dogs from Europe so that they could pretend to be English aristocrats and do fox hunting. Very common in, in like, those colonial colonies. Southern landowners really wanted to, like, pretend that they were European, like, aristocrats. So they bought red foxes from Europe and just released them in the forest and they hunted them. Yeah. Yeah, legitimately, that's what they did. Turns out, doing that spreads rabies. Mostly... Cases were pretty uncommon, despite sporadic outbreaks, but in the 19th century, along with urbanization into industrialized cities, you ended up with a lot of loose dogs. People got forced out of their farms to go to work in the cities, and released the dogs they didn't need anymore to the land. Suddenly, packs of dogs were running around cities, and along with the advent of mass media and dumbass journalists, a mass hysteria around rabies was whipped up. People would be terrified of rabies, despite it being, like, still kind of rare compared to other diseases, even at the worst outbreaks, but it got to the point where people would kill themselves if they got bit by an animal that they suspected could have had rabies. Just like, like immediately, same day. They just did not want to suffer through the effects. Um, or even worse, people would, <laughs> like people would see like a homeless man being bit by like a stray dog, and then people would just go and kill the homeless man. <laughs> And the dog, and then burned them both. Shit. Um, because people were terrified about, about rabies. This was like, I'm trying to figure out like a similar sort of like mass panic in history, which would like around around like a, a medical thing. I can't really come like up with like the Black anything. Death. But even then, but that was, like, people weren't like killing themselves. But I'm also thinking like that was that was like a real actual concern that yeah. like you, <laughs> the Black Death will kill you statistically. Mm -hmm. Probably. Well, I mean, but, rabies will kill you too. But odds are you won't get it. It's still like pretty rare. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like I think like it's like terrorism, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but it like it became like a massive thing, and it became like a big cultural thing too. This is where you get a lot of like the cultural depictions of rabies in a lot of like Victorian literature, where people will talk about like like rabid dogs and rabid people, you know, killing people and going on rampages and stuff. It's, it's a massive fear, and it is hysteria, but. It was in the middle of this hysteric fear of rabies that a certain man decided to do something about it. So, you've probably heard of famed milk boy Louis Pasteur, famed French microbiologist, chemist, savior of millions of people, and my personal hero because I like milk and I like to be able to drink it without getting tuberculosis. <laughs> um, big fan. Podcast is big fan of Louis Pasteur. Uh, although, French. He was a big believer in this new idea called germ theory, 
some people credit him with the idea. He did not come up with it, but he, he was a big proponent of it. Uh, and that is the idea that diseases were caused by tiny organisms that are alive instead of the other I, like main ideas, uh, one of which is miasma theory, which is basically pollution causes people to be sick. Like bad air. Bad air. Or the idea of spontaneous generation, which is that diseases and also maggots and flies can just appear out of out of nothing. Those theories are obviously not true, and I like to think that most people believe in germ theory today. And Louis did not believe in those false ideas. And he goes on to invent a bunch of vaccines for a few diseases with germ theory in mind. He invented vaccines for anthrax and chicken cholera, and he decided to take on the biggest public health scare of the time, which was rabies. And he did all of that because he was very smart, but also because he had a general methodology for vaccines, which was built on previous smallpox variolations. Germ theory states that smallpox is caused by a, by a germ, basically. He believed that everything was caused by bacterium. He didn't know about viruses yet. And he had the idea that we could do that with smallpox. Let's do that with all diseases. Does it weaken the bacterium? We can make an infinite amount of vaccines and we can cure all disease. Um, and he almost succeeded. So he thought rabies was caused by a bacterium, but it was too small to see on his microscope. We know today that that is because it's a virus and not a bacterium and you, viruses are very, very small. So to study it, he infected rabbits with the rabies virus to grow it in the neural tissue and then desiccated the spinal cords of the animals and put it in a solution with other ingredients like various chemicals in order to weaken what he thought was the rabies bacteria and then injected that solution in other rabbits. He did this over and over again until those other rabbits didn't develop rabies after exposure anymore. He would then do the same to dogs that had been contaminated with rabies, and the dogs didn't develop rabies either. Pasteur was skeptical of human trials for a while, but on July 6, 1885, a nine-year-old boy and his family came to Pasteur's lab looking for some sort of treatment since the boy had been bitten by a rabbit dog a few days beforehand. Which, it's a bit, it's a bit wild, like you're, you're, but I, I kind of get what you do with, like your kid has been bitten by a disease that has no cure, so you go to like a, a virology lab being like like a bacterial lab to so be like cooking up anything I mean, new. I guess I guess they knew he was doing like rabies research. Yeah, you know. And I guess maybe maybe it was like a last resort thing. Maybe they saw doctors. The doctors were like, Sorry. "This guy Louis, he's been, <laughs> he's been cranking out vaccines left and right. He might have something." After some deliberation, the lab called in a doctor because Pasteur and no one else at this lab is a doctor. This is not a clinic. This was just like a lab. So they called in Dr. Jacques-Joseph Grancher, and they injected the boy with increasingly concentrated amounts of the rabies vaccine over 10 days. And the boy was fine. He didn't get rabies and became the first person to ever be confirmed to have been exposed to rabies and not develop it. After a second boy was vaccinated, and he too didn't develop rabies, Louis Pasteur became an overnight megastar in the European medical world, and people would travel from the entire world for treatment. And he was very quickly able to open a clinic that could treat people worldwide that had been exposed to rabies. These early vaccines weren't perfect though, sometimes the virus wasn't fully inert, and the patient could develop rabies anyway, 
And his vaccine solution contained a lot of myelin, which could cause fatal encephalitis in some rare cases. You don't want your vaccine to do that. This clinic would later grow the virus in sheep to keep up with demand for the vaccine and improve techniques and guidelines in order to reduce the side effects. But most of those issues still remained until the development of cell cultures meant for virus propagation, after which you could grow it in labs under much more controlled conditions, which made things easier for all virus research and vaccine development. And doesn't necessitate using myelin in your solution so that the dried up brains of sheep doesn't rot in the vial. Yeah, it's a bit of a... I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. Like, it, it's, it seems like a hassle. I know, right? But <laughs> to, like, to, to take out the brain, to desiccate the brain, and then you have myelin in there, and you need yeah. it, but it gives people encephalitis. Like, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. Okay, so the whole thing about rabies, right, is that there is no treatment once symptoms occur. There are a few things that we can do to minimize the risk of infection or to prevent symptoms from developing. So, for example, there is rabies prep. <laughs> Not that kind of prep. Which is recommended for people who are exposed to either the rabies virus or to animals that carry it. So, it's like, you know... For, for people who work in it. With, for people yeah. who work... Um, so, for like, there's, um, there's a few, like, risk categories. And category one includes people, like, researchers who work yeah. with the rabies virus itself. So, they have to, to do it. Makes sense. Um, then there's people who work with bats, vets, vet techs, uh, people who work with animal control, and even people who spelunk, <laughs> like, go in caves. Yeah. Bats. So, they are, uh, you know, they're considered... Um, to belong to a risk group and they are either they either have to or they're recommended like strongly advised to they have to the police will arrest you if you don't take it I, take I your state think, mandated I prep well i would think that you know there's um like work safety regulations yeah, for sure so prep for rabies is just a two dose vaccine series containing inactivated rabies virus so the virus and the vaccine is killed so the person's immune system is like exposed to it and then produces antibodies mm -hmm. on its own. And then after the vaccination, the antibody levels are measured every six months. And I guess if you, I think you need to take it every two years. So PrEP definitely is protective um, and it may protect you in the case of unrecognized rabies, but it does not eliminate the need for post-exposure prophylaxis, meaning that if you get bit, you still need to get immediate treatment, which consists of rabies immune globulin. So you get, like, you straight up just get the antibodies. Um, and then four rabies vaccines on day 0, 3, 7, and 14, and 0 being the day you got bit. Um, I mean, often people, like, don't know or don't have time to go, and then it's, like, day one. But obviously, like, the faster you get yeah, it, the better. as quick as possible. Um, but if you do have the PrEP, you, you shouldn't get the antibodies since it can counteract the effects of the vaccine. So that's like, I guess, a benefit of the PrEP also. Mm. You don't have to get the the immunoglobulin. Yeah. And that one is a painful one, so... I can imagine. Because um, isn't that like... Because I've, I've seen... I've seen... Because it's not like a... It's not like a normal thing. Like, it's a chunky syringe that they just like... Mm, into I, your body. Yeah, I don't. I haven't seen exactly what it looks like, but I heard getting immunoglobulin injections is painful. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've heard it just because like, it's a big amount. Could be. It's like jam. They have to <laughs> into your spinal cord, just like get the, get, get the mayonnaise cord? in there. Is I don't, it in your? I mean, I don't. I'm not sure, but like it, it, it travels in the nerve, right? I would imagine it would have to go uh, at like a. Does it travel in the nerve? I mean, isn't it just in the circulatory system, just to like you, you know, really get it. At, get this, it early. at the site to 
the bite side. I guess. You are, dear listener, you're discovering an area I have not done research in. <laughs> it's painful in a way. Like, if you can try to avoid being exposed to rabies. In addition to the vaccine and the immunoglobulins, there's one form of treatment called the Milwaukee Protocol that has led to a few people actually recovering from rabies after developing symptoms. <laughs> Apply the Milwaukee Protocol. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are 38 published cases, might be more, but 38 that we know about. Wait, wait, hold on. This is Because I'm imagining this is like some advanced science shit. Who's applying this advanced science shit? The Milwaukee Protocol sounds like a science fiction gadget that yeah, you bring it sounds out. A bit, yeah. Like, who's being. <laughs> is there like a rogue mad scientist who's going around curing people who's been exposed to rabies? I. It, but <laughs> here's the thing it's not really. Um, so I've read about it, and what I've seen is it's not very accepted in clinical practice. I don't actually know what this means in like practical terms. Mad because scientist of- goes around and does it unregistered. Doctor does it immediately loses his license. Hmm, no, Austin I- Powers. I will apply the Milwaukee Protocol <laughs> and cure your rabies. So okay, I don't know. I don't know who's done it or under what conditions. There are forty-eight published cases um, in which this protocol has been applied, and eleven people have survived. So it's like kind of good chances, like twenty-five percent. I mean, considering rate. that, like, yeah, that's way better than the zero percent rate yes. of anything else. What it is is that it consists of putting the patient into a chemically induced coma, usually with ketamine (laughs) and diazepam. Ketamine. uh, We've made an episode about ketamine. We have, yes. So you put the the patient into a chemically induced coma and then you treat them with antivirals. And I haven't seen a lot about what the coma actually does, but apparently it just helps the body produce antibodies better. I guess because, Mm. you know, your energy... Um, needs are reduced. Um, it gives the body a better chance to actually, you know, mount an immune response. But wow. the protocol, like I said, it's not very accepted in clinical practice, and it comes with a lot of like side effects and risks because obviously a coma is not like a very easy thing for a body for like a person to go through for for a body to be like yeah. put through. I get, but like um, if you start showing rabies symptoms, it's like like why not? Yeah, might as like, well. You know, might as well. Um, if if jumping off a building had like a five percent chance of curing rabies, yeah. then it's just like okay, well, that's better than getting than dying of rabies. Yeah, but here's where capitalism comes in. Oh no, um, because you know this treatment is very very it's 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 expensive because it's you know you have to keep the the, co- the person in a coma for for I think it's like about a month. Um, <laughs> oh no, healthcare for a month. Yeah. Uh, and also requires a lot of rehabilitation care after the person, you know, comes out of the coma, if they yeah. do. Um, usually this happens in specialized centers, so it's not accessible. And especially the fact that rabies is mostly common in areas that have scarce resources. Mm. Um, it's not really, like, applicable to those areas. Like, I guess you yeah. can do it in, you know, developed countries. Uh, but people don't really get rabies in mm. developed countries. Like if, um, if we get rabies, like this could be like maybe. probably better for us. But yeah, in terms of the future of rabies, there's a new vaccine currently being studied in a phase one clinical trial, which, if successful, could eliminate the need for multiple doses of the current vaccine. Oh, cool. So it would be like a one shot vaccine. 
Um, and but, that obviously, yeah. like, it can make the it, it can make getting the vaccine more convenient and more accessible. But it doesn't really improve a person's chances of recovering if they already have symptoms. Yeah. So you know, it's it's an improvement, but it's not really like curing rabies. <laughs> I mentioned in the intro the role that the blood-brain barrier plays in the uh, pathogenicity of the rabies virus. And there's quite a bit of research around, um, you know, how, how can we use this to our advantage. Uh, but I haven't seen any actual drugs being developed. And this might be because increasing the blood-brain permeability comes with a bunch of other issues. It's there for a reason. And increased permeability is actually related to most CNS diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and ALS and seizures. So by increasing permeability, you might actually opening you might actually be opening the door to other like very serious conditions. Great. I love um, opening doors to serious conditions. <laughs> so while we're waiting for these dang scientists to come <laughs> up with a cure. <laughs> These dang, These dang scientists, get off your high horses, dang scientists, <laughs> get, off your ass. get into the lab, stop playing around <laughs> with the ball, get, keep working. So, so while we're waiting for a cure, most efforts in eliminating and preventing rabies are focused on the management of rabies reservoirs, which is fancy speak for vaccinating dogs. And public outreach and education, since most... Wait, can you vaccinate dogs? Yeah, you can vaccinate dogs against rabies. I didn't even think about that. Of course you can vaccinate <laughs> dogs. I was just imagining sort of like vaccine control being like animal handlers going out and shooting dogs like on the street. Because like people do that. No, you can you can vaccinate them. It's it, I haven't looked into it super much. So like I'm not, I can't tell you all the details mm. of how it works. Um, I think it's a bit more straightforward than it is with people. I think if you just vaccinate them ahead of exposure, they typically don't get it. Um, if you, if you, um, if your dog does get bit, it is a good idea to take them to the vet just yeah. so they can like watch them and quarantine them, um, so that the dog doesn't bite you at home <laughs> and then you get a rabies, but it's a lot less, um, I think it's less likely for them to get sick. Mm. So that's good. So dogs are getting vaccinated, I guess like stray management um, but also public outreach and education, since most rabies cases occur in areas with limited access to health education campaigns. And that's very important. But that's our episode on rabies. Spooky. Spooky scary. <laughs> it's thankfully pretty rare these days. In most of the world, not super uncommon in some areas, but even it's then, still, it's like, I think it's, it's still a pretty big public health concern. It is in some areas. I don't want to sort of like end the episode by being like, "Well, we don't need to worry, we about, don't it. Need to worry about it." We do. We mean do need to worry about it. Um, but comparing comparing today with like the eighteen hundreds, mm -hmm. we're doing so much better. Mm -hmm. Like. I was saying that, like, oh, it, it was rare. You know, it's not a huge huge concern. It was a massive hysteria, and it was like, you know disproportionate hysteria but there were still you know a lot of rabies in europe at the time so like yeah we're doing we're doing better mm -hmm. but we can always do even better um and that's our message from us to you i guess do better no, we <laughs> <laughs> be less bad and be more good and remember that if you've been bitten by an animal or even just a strange animal comes up and like hangs out with you and like nuzzles you and anywhere licks, or touches you and licks the cut on your leg like don't maybe go to maybe the doctor. Maybe go to the doctor and like get it. Like it's, it's always better to be safe than sorry. I think um I think they can do I guess they would be able to do like PCR 
if you if you do it like um, if you go to the doctor immediately, right, they would be able to detect viral particles in your blood. Um, I'm not even sure they try to detect it. I think they just like, have you been bitten by an animal or like been, been exposed? Been in, in and then and then you're like, animals, cool, yeah. we're gonna give you the treatment then because yeah. I think it's like, I, I think the the risk of a false negative would like that that's too high, right? Even even if it's one percent that it could be a, that could that you could have a false negative, you could test it and then you don't get the treatment. It's like, well, that's stupid. Like you just give the treatment because then is it the entire world if you give one person too much rabies treatment? Like no, okay, they're gonna be fine. <laughs> It's going to hurt a little bit, but that's your okay. Get your shots, folks. And thanks for the episode. All right. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on rabies. If you have, consider maybe rating us or supporting us on Patreon or maybe both. Writing us? Rating. Oh, I thought you were like wanting them to write us a letter. Write us a letter. Fuck it. Write us an email. (laughs) I love letters. Reachuspodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, stay safe. Get your shots. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.